0: Good morning. Thank you, Will and Deanna, for leading us in worship this morning. And we are so glad that you are here to join us once again for this live stream service uh, here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church. You know, this has been an interesting uh, six weeks for us here. This is the sixth week that uh, we've not been able to meet together in person here at Ivy Creek. And it's the sixth week that we have uh, broadcast our service via the Internet and um, to our friends and our family who live in and around uh, the Buford area here. But uh, honestly, we have been able to figure out that there are people who have been tuning in to our services from all over the country. And uh, we are excited that you are able to join us and to participate in worship with us here at Ivy Creek. And, and um, what I just would like to do is to reiterate what Pastor Ted had said earlier. We would love for you to be able to Uh, We'd love to be able to communicate with you, and and we we hope that you would take the opportunity to use that uh, connection card, that that link that we have provided for you there to provide us with some information about you. We'd love to get some information to you, uh, some ways that we could explain to you a little bit about our ministry here at Ivy Creek and how we can uh, be able to to minister to you and to your family. And so if you just take some time today before you log off to, to click on that link and fill out that information and submit it, That would be something we would really, really appreciate. So I hope that you'll take time to do that today. Of course, um, over this past week, the big news uh, that all of us have been uh, made aware of is the debate, really, over how much longer we need to continue to shelter in place uh, in order to stop the spread of this COVID-19 virus. And and then the other side of that debate is, is, is when should the restrictions be lifted uh, on us so that our country can, can be opened back up again. And, and maybe we could even state the, the debate or the, the question a little more simply and put it this way. Should we push forward or should we sit tight? Uh, I, I have my own personal opinions with regard to that, but I'm not a scientist and I, I'm not a medical professional and I am not an economist. So as it pertains to Uh, That question, I I won't address it from any of those perspectives. I would, however, like for us to consider that question from a spiritual perspective and and really not as it pertains to whether we should continue to shelter at home or, or whether we need to get things back to the way things were before. Rather, as followers of Jesus Christ who are living through these very strange times, in which we find ourselves, I want us to consider that question from a spiritual perspective. As believers and as followers of Jesus, should we push ahead or should we sit tight? Should we press forward or should we stand firm? Well, the title to my sermon today likely gives the answer Uh, to that question away, but but don't tune out on me just yet. Uh, I want us to examine that question today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, take them and turn with me to the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians is, is a fairly short letter written by the Apostle Paul, and you'll find it about midway over in the New Testament part of your Scriptures. And this morning, as it pertains to our spiritual lives, I want us to think about what it means to press forward, what it means to continue striving and moving ahead while also standing firm and remaining firmly fixed in place. I want to begin our reading down in verse 12 of chapter 3 of Philippians, but before I do, I just want to set the context for you. In the first part of this chapter, in chapter 3, Paul confesses to, to these Philippian believers that everything that, that he had previously banked on, everything that, that he had at one time in his life put stock in and, and counted on to be to his credit, well, he had left all of that behind. You see, while at one point in his life, he would have boasted about his heritage, about his heritage as a, as a purebred Jew. He says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And, and while he was a Pharisee, he would have boasted about his knowledge of the scriptures and, and how he had uh, been so obedient and devoted to obedience to the, the law and to the, the Jewish scriptures. And while he would have placed tremendous stock in the fact that he had at one point zealously persecuted the Christians whom he believed to be blasphemers, well, Paul tells us all of that had changed in his life. He he no longer boasted in any of those things because all of it was, was what Paul valued and boasted in before he met Jesus. It was before his life was radically changed by the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. But after that meeting, after after Jesus blinded Paul and after he captured his heart, well, according to verse 7 of chapter 3, Paul says that what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. He regards them as nothing but rubbish, nothing but trash. Literally, he says, it's excrement to me. Now, that was... Obviously a massive shift in in Paul's value system. And it was a change that, that literally moved his focus from all that he had counted on in the past to that which he now pursued with all of his heart. That which he identifies for us in verses 10 and 11. Paul's ultimate goal, he says, was that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's passionate desire in life was to know Jesus. And by the time that he writes this letter to the Philippian church, Paul has been in an abiding relationship with Christ for decades. Yet, it was an ever-deepening, ever-widening personal knowledge of Jesus that Paul pursued relentlessly. But Notice, even though that was his pursuit, pick up with me in verse 12. Notice what he says. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. And let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for this day that you have given us. And we thank you once again for the opportunity that we have to be able to come together, even remotely, even through through our TVs, through computers, through phones, through iPads, various ways. We are able to assemble ourselves together as the people of God around the Word of God We've been able to sing praises about who you are and about the Savior who came and died for us and rose again. And now we're able to open up your scriptures and read them and study them and and allow them to impact us through the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we thank you for this opportunity. It is very different for all of us. We are still trying to get adjusted to it, but yet we are grateful for the opportunity that has presented itself. And we pray that we would take advantage of every opportunity we have to learn more about you and to allow your scriptures to Im- impact our our the way that we think and the way that we live so that we might truly be transformed into the men, women, boys, and girls that you desire for us to be. So I pray that your word would go out with power this morning and I pray that it would continue to impact those who are listening and who are watching this morning. And I pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. You know, a few years ago, I participated in a training seminar that focused on discipleship. And one of the first things that we were tasked with in that that group was to try to accurately define who exactly a disciple is. And one definition that we tossed around was simply this. It was that a disciple is a person who thinks and acts like Jesus And while that's a good start, we all began to sort of question ourselves and to to think about that that definition. And, And most of us thought, well, how many of us truly can honestly say that we always think and act like Jesus? And I know that I can't raise my hand to that. The people who are closest to me know that I can't raise my hand and say that I all the time think and act like Jesus does. So it was because of that that we all began to to think about maybe there needs to be another way that we understand what a disciple is. And so we clarified our definition by saying this, a disciple is a person who is becoming more and more like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that's a better definition because I think it describes literally the process of discipleship. Consider this. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now, that means, according to Jesus' own uh, directions, that the process of making disciples is exactly that. It's a process that involves, first of all, evangelization. It involves taking the good news of the gospel to all the nations. And then when we take that good news of the gospel, then we baptize those who who trust in the Lord Jesus and who believe upon him. And we, we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But the process of making disciples does not end with evangelization. Jesus says that we must go on to teach those whom we have baptized to observe or to obey all the things that he had commanded. In other words, the process of becoming a disciple, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, well, that involves learning information and it involves being taught the Bible and and then being led to live a life of obedience. It leads to modification in our behavior, but As Eric Geiger has stated, we must be careful to recognize that discipleship is not simply the learning of information, nor is it simply behavior modification. While both of those things are necessary and they are both good, they are just merely externals. However, the goal of true discipleship is something internal. The goal of true discipleship is something infinitely greater than just modifying behavior and learning information. The goal of discipleship is life transformation. Consider what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. He says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul exhorts us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the ultimate goal of discipleship is life transformation that results from applying the truth of God's word to our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. We could really probably state it this way. The goal of discipleship is to become spiritually mature. It's to to grow up. It's to become a fully developed follower of Christ. And consequently, we have to recognize that discipleship is not a point on a line that we hope to ultimately come to. Rather, it is a process of continual transformation by the work of the Holy Spirit to conform us into the image of Jesus Now, I believe that that gets to the heart of what Paul stated his goal was back in verses 10 and 11. He wanted to know Christ fully and intimately. He wanted to know him to the point that his life was conformed to the life of Christ. He wanted to become fully grown. He wanted to become fully developed spiritually and to become spiritually mature. Brothers and sisters, that should be the goal of every believer every follower of Christ should desire to become more and more like Christ, to be transformed into the image that Jesus has set for us and given us as an example. Here's where I want you to focus in. Paul recognized just as you and I recognize that as long as we live in these mortal bodies and as long as we live in this mortal world, we're going to face challenges and we're going to face struggles in it, particularly as it pertains to our faith and how we live it out. And therefore, we must be careful not to think that we have arrived, that we have somehow reached a point of perfection. In fact, that's the premise from which Paul begins this section in verse 12. He states, not that I have already attained or am already perfect. In other words, Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. I I am still in the process of becoming who God desires for me to be. And I know all of us can raise our hands and say, that's my story too. I haven't arrived yet. I'm not perfect. I'm still in the process of becoming who God wants me to become. But Listen, while we admit and while we acknowledge that, we must not allow that realization to become an excuse to take our foot off the gas pedal. You see, realizing that discipleship is a process that, that, and, and that spiritual maturity is only and will ultimately come about once we reach heaven as our, as our home and we're there with Christ, well, that recognition may tempt us to sort of throw things into neutral in the present. I mean, after all, since, since we'll never achieve perfection here, why not just coast and take it easy? But listen, that will not be the mindset of one who is growing spiritually and deepening in their spiritual maturity. In fact, rather than coasting, Paul describes a very different reality. He makes parallel statements in verses 12 through 14 that really indicate his longing for the future and that that longing will have a necessary impact on the way that he lives in the present. He says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call Of God in Christ Jesus. In these verses, you'll notice that Paul uses some language that is very similar to what we would hear at a sporting event, particularly at a track meet or something along those lines. He he talks about pressing forward or reaching or straining forward. If If you've ever participated in or watched one of those races, then you'll know that when a disciplined runner approaches the finish line, he or she is not looking back over their shoulder, nor are they running, standing straight up. In fact, what you'll notice is that as the finish line comes into view, the runner stretches every part of his or her body toward the finish line. That's what Paul says that the Christian life should look like. He He also uses military language in this passage to communicate his point. In verse 12, he speaks of laying hold of that which Christ had laid hold of him. Some of your versions that you're reading will use the verb seize or or pursue. These are the words that are often used to describe what one army does to the ranks of its enemy. Paul knew this all too well because as we noted earlier... It was on the road to Damascus as a man who was breathing venom and hatred toward Christians that the Lord Jesus pursued the man formerly named Saul of Tarsus and seized his heart and and captured him. In fact, Paul would even say that Christ arrested him. He had been laid hold of. And and now his sole desire was to lay hold of Christ, to know him and to know the power of his resurrection. And listen, that that pursuit of Christ is not a goal reserved only for super-Christians like the Apostle Paul. Absolutely not. In in, in fact, notice what he says next in verses 15 and 16. He says, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if, if if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you, nevertheless... To the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us be of the same mind. In other words, Paul says that those of us who are engaged in discipleship and that process of of growing and becoming spiritually mature, he says all all who, as we said earlier, are, are being transformed into the image of Jesus, well, there is no appropriate lackadaisical response to what Christ has done for us. Our lives are not to be marked by coasting. Rather, if we are truly going to be disciples of the Lord Jesus and if we are going to gain a more personal and intimate knowledge of the one who gave his life for us on the cross and who rose from the dead so that we might one day inherit eternal life, then we must press forward. We must continue to strain ahead. We must keep pushing forward toward the finish line. So, if you haven't already filled in the blanks on your outline that I've given to you this morning, let me go ahead and state what I would consider to be a summary of what Paul is communicating to us in this opening paragraph. And it's simply this. The first point there is this. Discipleship necessitates pressing forward. Discipleship necessitates pressing forward. Now, Paul having made his point here goes on to urge the followers, the urge these, these Philippian believers to follow the example that he is setting. In other words, what was implicit in verses 15 and 16, he now makes explicit in verse 17 when he says, Brethren, join in, my, in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. You know, a few weeks ago in the final sermon of the Follow Me series that that we went through here at Ivy Creek, we talked about this exact thing. We talked about the importance of having mentors and, and having examples that we're able to follow. We also talked about the fact that as followers of Christ, we ourselves ought to be striving to live in such a way that we can look at others and, and not be ashamed to say, come on and, and follow me and, and pattern your life after mine. Let me show you how to press forward in the process of becoming more like Christ. If you weren't able to view that sermon or if you haven't heard that one or or seen it, I would encourage you to go to our website and be able to to pull it up and listen to it because what I want you to consider is that what Paul says here and what he says elsewhere, you, you, you should secure for yourself some godly influences that you can model your life after. But you shouldn't stop there. You should pray and seek the will of the Lord that you too may be a proper example that others can look to and pattern their life after. In fact, I would put it this way. You need to have someone you're watching and following and you need to have someone who is watching and following you. In other words, the process of discipleship is not accomplished in a vacuum. It it is not intended to happen in isolation. Now, the importance of that is made clear by what Paul says next. In effect, he issues a warning. He identifies those who have influence in this world. He identifies folks who who put themselves out there as examples to be followed because there's plenty of them there. And he says, but listen, be warned. Those are folks, many of them, who are living by a different set of rules and they're walking down a very different path that's going to lead them to a very different destination. In fact, Paul says that these are enemies of the cross and that their end is destruction. In other words, these folks are destined for eternal hopelessness, eternally separated from God because they deny the cross, because they refuse to humble themselves before God. And the danger for the Philippian believers is that Paul says there are many of those examples out there Brothers and sisters, that is no less true for us today. We too live in very dangerous times surrounded by those who would seek to influence us in very dangerous ways. So how are we to be able to identify who those are? Well, Notice their characteristics. First of all, they are driven by their sensual appetites. Paul says that their God is their belly. That doesn't just simply mean that they're only after food. It means that they they seek to satisfy the physical desires of their life and that those physical desires displace the Lord Jesus and become their God. And I believe this is further explained by the phrase that Paul uses next, whose glory is their shame. In other words, they are driven by things... And, and the glory in those things are shameful. And then Paul identifies these people as those who set their mind on earthly things. In other words, they are dedicated to the material things of the here and now. Their aim in life is, is not to know Christ and to know Him in the power of His resurrection. Their goal is not the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Rather, their whole inner disposition is governed by earthly pursuits and physical gratification. In other words, based upon what Paul tells us here, these are folks who do what they want, when they want, and how they want. And they are driven by their lustful passions and they are drawn to things that are tangible and can be owned. And Paul says that those on such a path are on a downward trajectory toward eternal destruction. They have exchanged the worship of the one and true living God for the worship of worthless idols and stuff and even themselves. They have become so captivated by earthly things that there is no room for the worship of Christ. And as such, Paul says that they are an enemy of the cross and he warns us to be wary of them. Brothers and sisters, you and I have to heed that warning. We must constantly evaluate the messages that are sent to us from from politicians to, to marketers to entertainers to even our very own neighbors who, who constantly seek to define for us what is normal and what is acceptable. Based upon what Paul writes here, we must recognize that there are those around us, many of them, in fact, whose focus is not on Christ but on earthly things. And their focus will impact our focus if we are not careful. But as believers in Christ we have to remember that this earth is not our home. We must remember that our citizenship is not based in this world. In fact, Paul tells us in verse 20 that our citizenship is in heaven. And since that is the case, living as if your citizenship is based in this world really makes no sense. And furthermore, since heaven is our ultimate home, Paul reminds us that that Christ will return for us. And when he does, according to verse 21, we will all be transformed. And he tells us that our weak and frail bodies will be conformed to his glorious body and that our propensity to sin will be forever gone and, and we will have the body and the mind of Christ. The process of discipleship will be completed and we will have been made like him. And That's why Paul says that we eagerly wait for the coming of Christ, the return of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And we believe that that nothing in this world can compare to that which Christ has gone to prepare for us. And what that means practically is that we who are believers, well, then our lives are no longer determined by where we came from, but instead by where we're going. And that's why Paul said that he had to let go of all that stuff that he had valued in the past. And it's why he kept reaching toward the things which are ahead. Listen, if you and I live as if this world is all that there is, as if all of our hope comes from the stuff that we can attain and stuff that ultimately, as the Bible tells us, rusts and decays and where thieves break in and steal if that is where we have all of our hope, then we are not holding true to the gospel. Rather, we are holding on to treasures that don't last. Things that are not really treasures after all. And that's why we must live with the hopeful expectation of heaven because, listen, where you call home will determine how you live your life. Let me say that again. Where you call home will determine how you live your life. When I was in the Navy, my my dad would always encourage me and he would caution me with these words that he would put at the end of every letter that he wrote me. He said, remember who you are and whose you are. What I want you to know is that Paul's words here are very similar. He too would encourage us to remember who we are and to remember to whom we belong. And then he would add this, remember where you're going. You see, brothers and sisters, if we will do that, then as we have seen, we will continue to press forward in our discipleship. But as we come to the end of the study here in this passage, let me also point out to you what Paul says and notice the second point on your outline, which you've likely already figured out by now. But the second point is simply this. Discipleship not only involves pressing forward, but discipleship necessitates standing firm. Discipleship necessitates standing firm. You see, at the conclusion of of this extended section that encourages us to keep pushing and to keep straining and striving ahead, and to keep good examples in front of us and to be warned about the lifestyles and the patterns of behavior that will derail us if we follow them, well, then Paul goes on at the end of these practical points to say, therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Stand fast. Remain fixed. Remain fixed. Firm. Do not let yourself be moved. Such is the command that the Apostle Paul gives. And it's a recurring theme throughout his writings. In fact, earlier in this same letter to the Philippians in chapter 1 verse 27, he says this to them, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, Paul writes this. Watch, stand fast in the faith. Be brave and strong. Galatians 5, verse 1, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15, he says, Stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. What becomes clear again and again and again is that you and I are called To stand fast. We must stand firm. In fact, as the last point states, discipleship necessitates standing firm. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. You see... Though the world and and the many who are fixated on worldly things, they may chase after worthless things that will never truly satisfy them in this life. And, and, and though the pressures that we face continue to mount against us as we desire to live our lives in such a way as to bring glory to the Lord Jesus, we must remain fixed upon the truth of the gospel. It must continue to remain central to our lives. What that means is that we declare very clearly that Jesus is the only way and the only truth and the only life and that no one can come to the Father except through Him. It is why we tell others with absolute conviction that there is only one name under heaven by which Anyone can be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. It is why we also declare that it is only through faith in what Jesus has done on the cross and by His resurrection that any of us have any hope for heaven. We are not saved by our works, but rather by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And therefore we call all people everywhere to repent of their sins and to turn from living their lives solely for themselves and for the the here and for the now and to turn their hearts toward Jesus Christ and to make Him Lord of their lives. Listen, friends, these are areas upon which we as believers must remain firmly entrenched and from which we must not budge. Martin Luther, the great reformer, when he was accused of heresy and ultimately condemned for declaring that men are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, he made this statement. He says, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. In effect, he says this. I will stand firm and I will not back up and I will not retreat. My feet are firmly fixed upon the truth of God's word and I will not give up and I will not give in. So, based upon what we have learned from studying this passage today, we must come back to the question with which I began. And that is, spiritually speaking, as it pertains to being a disciple of Jesus, who with the help of the Holy Spirit is, is being conformed into the image of Jesus, are we to keep pressing forward or are we to stand firm? And I believe the clear answer to that question is yes. We must do both. The role to discipleship is not designed to be something that, that becomes stagnant or becomes plateaued. Rather, we must press on. We must reach forward. We must lunge after more and more knowledge of the Lord Jesus. That is the path of discipleship. It is an ever increasingly becoming more and more like Christ. Not staying the same, but straining forward toward the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. And at the same time, we must keep the gospel central to our lives and stand firm upon its truth. Upon its power to save sinners from their sins and upon its power to transform lives from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His glorious light. And as we have seen, such conviction should cause us to seek out mentors who, who we can pattern our lives after and whom we can imitate. And in the process, we should seek to become mentors for others. The truth upon which we stand and from which we shall not be moved should cause us to become vigilant and to recognize that there are enemies of the cross In this world, enemies that would have us follow their example, but instead we will live a life that embraces the glorious hope of the future reality of heaven, knowing that one day Christ will return for us. And when he does, we will be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Brothers and sisters, we live for that day and we want to be ready for it When it comes and it is that thought then that leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this becoming spiritually mature demands standing firm in the Lord while also pressing forward in your commitment to become more and more like Christ becoming spiritually mature demands standing firm in the Lord while also pressing forward in your commitment to become more and more like Christ. The question that I must ask this morning is this. Does that accurately describe you? Are you becoming more spiritually mature by standing firm in the faith? Are you growing in your relationship with Christ by pressing forward in your commitment to follow him? Are you living your life as one who has surrendered yourself completely to the will of Christ one who recognizes your identity is in Christ and one who understands that you ultimately belong to Christ and one who is looking forward to the return of Christ. Is that who you are? Is your goal in life to press toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus and to gain a fuller and deeper knowledge of your Savior? I pray that that is your testimony today and I pray that That is the goal that you are seeking with all of your heart. If it's not, then the scriptures and the Holy Spirit call you to repent. The clear call of the gospel is to put aside all else that would hinder you from growing in your faith and from your relationship with the Lord Jesus. The question is, will you do that? Will you repent of those things? Will you turn loose of those pursuits? Will you humble yourself before the Lord and ask him to reveal all things that would keep you from following him deeply and walking with him closely? Perhaps it is that you don't have a relationship with Jesus to begin with. Perhaps you have never trusted in Jesus to save you. And as you look at your own life, perhaps you are confronted by the fact that you have no real hope and you have no real confidence that when you die, you will be able to come and live in the presence of God and and the Savior, the Lord Jesus. If that is the case, then what I want you to know is that right now, right where you are, you can ask the Lord to save you and to give you that hope. You can pray something just along these lines. Lord, I admit that I am a sinner and I believe that you died to save sinners just like me and that you rose again on the third day and I ask you to save me for Jesus' sake. And I want Jesus Christ to become the Lord of my life. Now, if you if you take the time and you pray that prayer and you, you pray it from your heart, I, I want you to let us know. I want you to contact us. They're going to put a, a number up on the screen. You can dial 470-238-8862. The same number that was at, there to begin with. 470 238 8862. And you will be prompted to leave a message. And when you do, that message will come to the pastors of this church and somebody will be back in touch with you. You may also want to use the the response card that's there. It's a digital response card where you can click it and give us information about yourself and submit that. We will be back in touch with you. We would love to be able to pray with you about your decision to follow Christ. And we'd love to be able to talk to you about what it means Then the steps that, that come from here. We want to be able to help and encourage you in your process of becoming a disciple of Jesus. That truly is our goal. Our goal is to see men, women, boys and girls come to faith in Jesus Christ and then to see them grow spiritually and to become spiritually mature followers of Christ. And as we have seen today, becoming spiritually mature, it demands standing firm in the Lord, while also pressing forward in your commitment to become more and more like Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God. It's for the people of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we come before you again this morning and thanking you for your Word, and thanking you that it continues to confront us right where we live and that it is designed and your Holy Spirit working through it to to bring about change into our lives, not just knowledge in our heads, not just change to our behaviors, but transformation in our lives as we continue to stand fast upon that which we know to be true, and as we continue to strain forward toward that goal that you have placed in front of us. I pray that that would accurately represent our lives. And to the degree that it does not, I pray that your spirit will bring conviction there and help us to repent of those things. and Really, just as a a surgeon does, to cut those areas of our lives out so that we might be made whole and healthy followers of the Lord Jesus. I do pray for any and all who are out there today that, that do not know you as their Lord and Savior. They've never come to that point where they have, fully and completely placed their confidence and trust in you. I pray that today would be that day and I pray that you would help them to reach out to us here at Ivy Creek to be able to walk that walk with them, to show them, to be able to, to be the good mentors that you want us to be. So I ask that you would move into their lives and, and draw them to you. We thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this this medium that you have given us even during these very difficult times to continue to be able to connect around the word together and as our church family continues to remain connected. I thank you for that and I praise you for it. I ask for your blessings upon us as as we now go on about the things that we're doing in our lives we pray for wisdom for our leaders and those that will be making decisions. We ask that you to give them the wisdom that they need to make good, godly, wise decisions. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.